for wave makers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And running the board for us today is equal rights advocate John Dunn. Answering the phones is the amazing DJ Spaceship. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 and DJ Spaceship will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. In a few years, um, a few uh, weeks, uh, Wavemakers will be um, asking you for your support. Um, not a few years, it's three times a year, but coming up. Um, and um, if you want to, we have some special thank you gifts for those of you who um, support our show. You can go to our page on WMNF, search for WMNF Wavemakers, and see images of the thank you gifts we have. We have an amazing uh, model airplane from Tampa International Airport. We have a inscribed uh, book from Carlton Ward, The Path of the Panther, and we have um, <clears throat> Once Upon a Time in Florida, a collection of stories from the Florida Humanities Magazine Forum. Those are fantastic thank you gifts. Go check them out on the Wavemakers WMNF uh, page. Today's guest has been making waves in the Tampa Bay region and around the world for 30 years. Don't take my word for it. In 2022, Nadine Smith was named to Time Magazine's annual list of the 100 most influential people in mm. the world. Nadine earned that recognition through her work as executive director of Equality Florida, the state's largest organization dedicated to ending discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. She has led the organization since its founding in 1997. Welcome to the show, Nadine. Hello, Tom. Hello, Janice. How are you? Great. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Uh, My pleasure. Nadine is an award-winning journalist turned activist. In fact, she and Tom were pod mates at the Tampa Tribune back in the day. We'll talk about her journey from Air Force Academy cadet to equal rights activist and her ongoing struggle with DeSantis and the Florida legislature. But first, let's discuss the increasingly dangerous rhetoric of the Republican Party. Nadine, are you concerned about escalating violence? Oh, absolutely. We we already see over the last um, several years now a spike in hate crimes. Uh, we see a, uh, an increase in you know physical violence, vandalism. Uh, a pride intersection in South Florida has been vandalized um, multiple times, but we're you know we continue to see the escalation of violence, and you see it in the in the way that people feel emboldened, um, you know, during Pride Month to go into stores and and um, menace the clerks and take down pride displays. Uh, we see it at school board meetings where Moms for Liberty and Proud Boys create gauntlets that uh, children and parents who actually go to school in those districts had to walk through while being insulted um, to try to intimidate them out of, out of participating in the process. So we absolutely see it. And, you know, we know that what happens with this kind of rhetoric. It is intended to create a moral panic it is intended to shape a, a scapegoat that can be the target of politicians in order to rile up their base. 
And once that base is riled, they then can distance themselves from the violence and intimidation and harassment that that base inflicts on people in the community. So, it, you know, it's, it is a deep concern. And I think it's really come home to many of us in these just these last uh, week where a gay man was shot to death at a dog park 24 hours after making a recording saying um, that he had been threatened by a man who had been calling him homophobic slurs for quite some time, and that the man had said to him, you're going to die, you're going to die. 24 hours later, that man shot him, and now is claiming a um, stand your ground defense. The people who, you know, and there's something about this story that to me is sort of emblematic of where we are. This is a group of, you know, dog owners who were friends and then COVID hit, and they began to split along these political lines according to reports from Mm -hmm. people who, who know both men. And they said once he found out that the guy was gay, he he would spend, there was a quote where he said, um, not only would he hurl slurs at him, but he, he would tell people, I can't wait to punch that guy in the mouth, words to that effect. And so unfortunately the headlines have left p- the community with the impression that the only thing that's really being investigated to stand your ground mm-hmm. and that the hate crime aspect is not being taken seriously and so far, I, I'm not seeing the um, sheriff's office do anything to dispel people of the notion that they are not interrogating all aspects of this. And uh, certainly nobody is guilty uh, unless proven so. And the benefit of the doubt is uh, an important part of the process. At the same time, uh, as I've said to others, if that was your brother who'd been shot and he had made a recording the day before saying, this man has threatened my life, uh, told me I'm going to die, you wouldn't go, eh, yeah, it's probably standing your ground. You you would have a wide-ranging investigation, mm-hmm. and that's all the community's asking for. Well, not, not, a foregone- not only that, Nadine, one of the unusual aspects of this case to me, as somebody who's been in, who was in journalism for a long time, and any time there was a homicide, there was a fatal shooting, this was news. We don't They don't happen all that often in, in the Tampa area, fortunately. So when someone is shot to death at a public park, Generally speaking, the sheriff's office would let the world know about it. They'd issue a press release. There was no press release uh, yeah. involving the death of Walter Lay at this Tampa dog park. Uh, yet the very next day, the sheriff's office issued a press release about a shooting at a bar in Plant City in which someone was killed. And they said that this was being investigated as a homicide, which makes me wonder, is Walter Lay's death being investigated as a homicide? Have you have you been able to talk to anyone at the sheriff's office about this? I, I have talked to the sheriff and I have talked to investigators, but I will tell you that I'm not, I have not left those conversations confident uh, in any way that they are investigating it as a, uh, a hate crime motivated killing. Uh, it seems like they're investigated as self-defense. Right, that is the only thing that has been... Yeah. Uh, Firmed publicly, and and so I I think that it is. Uh, uh, I I understand why the family and and bluntly the people who know both men were saying I we don't understand why this man is not in handcuffs. We right. don't understand why he's not facing charges. We don't understand why he's free, and the man that he threatened repeatedly is dead, and the only conversation that the only thing that has been shared publicly is that the the assertion of a stand your ground. Uh, defense. So, um, you know, 
in any under any circumstances that would be alarming in the context of the rhetoric of you know coming from the highest office in our state um in you know in in this atmosphere to allow that to be the only frame that is discussed publicly and as you you mentioned tom no 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 real press around this no real attention uh it was really i think it was walter lay's friends who have made this a public issue if i reading the stories correctly uh i mean i'm glad sheriff chronister has picked up the phone and talked to you about it but i don't understand why he didn't pick up the phone and tell his deputies get the word out to the community there was a shooting at a public park and somebody is dead and we're investigating this None of that was done until reporters started calling the sheriff's office, asking questions because of the, 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 the questions that were being raised by his friends. Is that the way you look at yeah, it? Yeah, that's my that is my understanding. And there's been no conversation that has disabused me of that notion. There's no conversation I've had with anyone at HCSO that has left me feeling like they um, understand how, the, the gravity of this the fear that it inspires the um you know the reality that i mean listen nobody <laughs> i'm pretty sure i was a police reporter when uh my first assignment when you and i were um pod mates <laughs> but um i you know and i know that the you know the problem here is is there a bias that's stopping them from understanding the importance of and the gravity of the situation is it making them unable to to understand what seems very obvious i mean if i just said to you the day before this man said hey this guy threatened me i'm making this video right after it happened he said you're going to die you're going to die 24 hours later he's shot to death by that man and the amazing thing is in that video he says i'm making this video because the police asked me to yeah, I did speak very specifically about that to law enforcement. And they yeah. said, well, we, we don't have any record of him calling. I said, but isn't, is that not what you would have uh, suggested to him? I said, you know, I, I had a situation where I was uh, being harassed by somebody and I um, talked to a friend of mine who was on the Tampa Police Department and followed their suggestions. Um, but you know, they seem to be hanging a lot on the fact that they can't look through their records and see where that was uh, recommended. And, you know, to my way of thinking, I, take all of that away. This man has told you this is what happened. All of the friend group um, of both men are both saying, men. yeah, yep. this this was really toxic. That guy really hated him for being gay. So this is what I mean when I say this, you know, we're, we are living in a time where there's an emboldened sense of um, that you can, you know, yell at somebody for speaking Spanish. You can confront somebody and question their gender. You can, uh, the governor and his minion can call uh, gay people groomers. And that is p considered normal political discourse. And so, you know, when these shooters end up with these manifestos, um, I think it was r reporters who also scanned the man's, the shooter's, uh, uh, you know, social media and found... Yep all kinds of, uh, you know, hateful anti-gay rhetoric. So, you know, the, I, th I, I wish and I hope and I've encouraged the, the sheriff's office to make clear that they're investigating the entire scope of this. They're taking seriously the possibility that this was a premeditated act, um, not a stand your ground uh, defense. 
uh, an act of defensiveness. And so, so far, I, I don't know that any of that has happened. And the community is, of course, outraged. And my heart goes out to the family and friends of Mr. Lay, who who I understand their astonishment that this is being this has been treated in the manner that it's been treated. Now, you said you talked to Ch- Chad Cronister. Have you talked to Susie Lopez, the uh, the appointed state attorney? Um, I have not talked to her. I was told um, that the case has not gone to the state attorney's office yet. Um, I'm told that it is supposed to go this week or next. Um, but I've certainly communicated with the state attorney's office the same concerns I shared with the sheriff. You're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF, and our guest is Nadine Smith, the Executive Director of Equality Florida. Um, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. We have an email from Bubba, a regular listener and communicator. He says, seems to me that the real groomers are solidly on the GOP side. Look at Matt Gates and Joel Greenberg and DeSantis' buddy Kent Sturman. Shameful. Um, and then we have an email from Dave Bryant, a WMNF radio show host and also a frequent um, contributor to our discussions here. And he says, thanks for bringing Nadine on the show. I admire her work. Um, I think it's ridiculous that Republicans have banned the drag queen reading events in Florida. I think it would be funny to stage a TV commercial with the drag queen reading The Art of the Deal to elementary kids and show the kids falling asleep because it's such a boring book. And then read DeSantis' garbage book, The Courage to be Free to the Kids, too. I would like to see a drag queen reading DeSantis' book and um, The Art of the Deal to Elementary Kids. David has a question for you, though, Nadine. He wants to know whether you still partner with Step Up for Students. He remembers there was a memo of understanding with Step Up regarding protection of gay children at participating private schools a few years ago. Is that something you uh, still yes, actually? Yeah, we ha- we actually haven't uh, been partnering for a, a couple of years. I think COVID sort of changed a lot of things, and that was one of them. Um, but you know, our our we're going to work with parents, uh, no matter where they are, to protect their kids. We're gonna any any school that is that wants to learn how to make a safe environment for LGBTQ young people, we're gonna work with them. Um, but p- I think in the midst of COVID, a lot of the structures of of what we were able to do in person went away, so so we haven't uh, we haven't been partnering in in recent years since COVID, really. Well, Nadine, you mentioned the context of these threats and and the actual violence that's that's occurring uh, against LGBTQ people um, is happening in the context of the culture wars in Tallahassee, and you have been a huge advocate for fighting against those culture wars. Um, Going back to the uh, Don't Say Gay bill, which you successfully, uh, <laughs> Equality Florida successfully uh, reframed that uh, hateful legislation as Don't Say Gay. Good job on that. Because everybody <laughs> pretty much now calls it the Don't Say Gay bill, even if they supported the bill. Um, but it continues in, in this session, right? There's, there's legislation uh, that would prohibit local governments and school boards from flying the gay pride flag. Um, now, there's some indication, Axios is reporting that that legislation seems to be stalling right now in the Senate. Is that mm-hmm. your impression? And what, what, what's this all about? It seems like such a, such a nice, happy kind of a thing, raise the flag over City Hall, 
um, or the county center? Um, what's the big deal? Yeah. Well, I mean, to be clear, when when it was when DeSantis was planning his run for uh, president, he very quickly, you know, transformed state government into an arm of his campaign, uh, not just, you know, using taxpayer dollars for political stunts. And part of it was a whole slate of these culture war um, attacks in an effort to usurp Trump's base. So he threw everything in the kitchen sink and and so when the when they began attacking critical race theory uh, by pretending it was actually something being taught in schools and and misidentifying what it was, they were simultaneously attacking LGBTQ students and teachers and parents. And so the don't say gay, don't say trans bill was was one of the first ones out of the gate. And from the very beginning in reading it, it was clear, despite all of their protests, that this was about K through third, and this was about books that were intended for older kids being accessible by younger kids, and this was simply a step to keep content that was was inappropriate for third grade and under away from them. We knew from the beginning that this was about censorship and surveillance and whitewashing history. And we made a commercial that uh, really showed exactly the kind of an, of atmosphere that we predicted would begin because of this bill. It featured a little girl on, uh, you know, she was supposed to stand at the front of the room and give a report on her, her heroes. And she's called to the front of the room and she says, um, the teacher asks, what are, who are your heroes? And she says, my two moms. And a red light flashes in the back of the classroom as the teacher looks nervously down at the at, at this law and then turns to her and says, go ahead, read your report. And then the teacher is called to the principal's office. And we were saying, you know, this is the kind of of not just censorship, but surveillance that, that this kind of law is intended. It's not just that it what it does, it is the chilling effect that it has where you suddenly had school districts yanking books that they thought might offend uh, DeSantis and his uh, Moms for Liberty handmaidens. And that has that has been the reach beyond even the 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 language of the law, uh, the substance of the law. It has been the spirit of the law because it was surrounded by all of this hateful rhetoric being pushed out by the governor's office. And so we you know, what we have seen is an awakening by parents who actually have kids in these school districts to to be very, very clear. Moms for Liberty, for example, was never a grassroots movement, you know, of a couple of moms who discovered some inappropriate material in their library and clutched their pearls and began organizing. This was a political operation cooked up by Christian Ziegler and Bridget Ziegler to create a scapegoat, to create anxiety and fear among suburban moms and drive them into the MAGAverse. And so they've executed that from going and and what we see time and time again is they always couple going after the LGBTQ community with a a regressive racist tactics. You know, we saw it in uh, we saw it during the Johns Committee where they were ferreting out civil rights advocates and, quote, homosexuals in public education. In the 1950s you're talking about. Absolutely. And and my my uh, congressman for most of my adult life was Bill uh, was Bill Young, who was the youngest member of that committee. You know, yeah. um, 
And then we saw it with Anita Bryant when she was doing her Save Our Children crusade and leaving in her wake uh, all of these horrible laws, marriage bans, uh, adoption bans, laws that allowed the government to take children from gay parents. All of these things were driven by that campaign that was financed by the moral majority, whose big issue was they did not want integration of higher education. And so we see it again now where the same people pushing to get you know, uh, and Tango Makes Three, the true story of of two male penguins raising a, an orphan penguin chick in a New York zoo, is removed from the library and immediately after, so is the life and times of Rosa Parks. And so we have to understand this. This is a very old playbook. It is about inciting moral panic so that people are willing to give up freedoms and they position themselves as the only ones who I and I alone can stop this this scourge. And this is this is Donald Trump's playbook. It has been Ron DeSantis's playbook. And so, um, you know, yes, he is he has ended his failed presidential campaign, but I imagine many of these same bills were already in the hopper in in uh you know, as part of a strategy to to take the MAGA mantle away from Donald Trump. And in the so case of the Zieglers, is- you have to wonder if some of this uh, <laughs> there's a lot of hypocrisy going on here and I don't know. I wonder sometimes if yeah. they were created this uh, organization to start grooming others to join them in their in their threesomes. But um, well, you know, I would simple. say this about the hypocrisy of the Zieglers is is actually not even their predatory sexual practices. You know, one of the most disturbing things I've read is the is the quote uh, that was in the in the media where she's describing one of the women that uh, they have three three ways with and she said uh yeah i kind of know that that it was all consensual but you know she just seems so broken it was sort of like is she even capable of consent right you know you you know like this is the definition of predatory behavior Uh well they were actually the police were initially investigating this as the sexual assault of a disabled person so the police saw that as well it's it's all very sorted i think nobody you know when Nobody cares about your, their sex life. People do care a great deal if there is a violation of the law. But the hypocrisy isn't that she engages in, you know, three ways with women. The hypocrisy is this entire political shtick called Moms for Liberty uh-huh. was always political theater. It was never driven. It was never an organic movement. It was cooked up by political consultants. In fact, there's a New York Times article. Anybody can look it up. Um, I, I'm quoted in it, but the quote that matters most in it comes from a right-wing think tank that said, after marriage equality stopped being a wedge issue, we had to come up with something else. We threw everything against the wall. And surprisingly, what stuck was people didn't know anything about trans folks. That is why about four years ago, you began to see politicians have a sudden interest in women's sports, have a sudden interest in the lives of trans people because they've been given their directive by a right-wing think tank that says this is a this is a place where you can turn fear into uh, or ignorance into fear and fear into political gain. And so that is why we've seen this avalanche of attacks on the trans community. It's not, you know, driven by things that are actually happening. Or, or concerns that people have, 
I mean, I, rem- I remember Jesse Jackson speaking in black churches, and at the time I, I wasn't a big fan of this talking point, but it was during the marriage debate, and he would ask people in a, you know, in, a, in a church, raise your hand if you've been invited to a gay wedding. And people would just sort of look around and no hands are, are up, and they said, how did they get you to believe this is the most important thing on the agenda? Because he understood the mechanics of this, and we are seeing the exact same thing happening and unfolding against the trans community and yeah. the LGBTQ community. Well, as as even our more friend John Dunn in the studio here points out, it also distracts people from serious issues. I mean, we have serious issues in this state, for example, property insurance. They don't seem to be doing anything about that. Is that part of the strategy also? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you... It really is a, it is a, a an, the oldest playbook. And what comes with it is corruption. Because they're not just distracting us away from the policies that they can't solve. In fact, I think we see with the border issue and the, and, and funding and the complete collapse of, of the deal that Republicans made the moment Trump realized that, hey, if, if a border deal is reached, I don't have I'm going to lose one of my favorite issues that includes, you know, xenophobia, racism, economic uncertainty. I mean, the immigrant border. <laughs> yeah, it is a bundle of every fear button. And he said, hey, we can't fix that. I need that. And so, you know, he, he demanded that Republicans scuttle the deal. And it's the same here. They don't, you know, it's not their... Um, the people they serve aren't suffering. They've got money. They're fine. They need people to be in a state of anxiety so that they can point them towards a scapegoat. So they're not going to address insurance or housing um, or, you know, um, climate change, um, you know, in, a terrible infrastructure, lack of public transportation, all of these things. They're not going to deal with those. In fact, they'll exacerbate them. And then when you're fearful about your safety, your ability to to survive in this economy, they'll say, it's not us, it's them. And they'll point to immigrants, they'll point to gay people, they'll point to, you know, whomever they see as the um, useful scapegoat in the moment. When also just all that fear drives votes to them so that they can do what they want, advance their own agenda. I mean, that's the other point of it is that people aren't going to vote for them on the complicated issues. So they vote for them on the, the easy one, which is fear, and then they can do what they want with the most more complicated issues. But if, if Axios is correct uh, that the pride flag ban is stalling, and at the same time the uh, law that would prohibit local governments from removing Civil War monuments is also seems to be dead, is there, is there hope here, Nadine, for uh, those who are on your side of advocating for equality? Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, I, I encourage people to go to equalityflorida.org, uh, read the resistance reports, the reports from Tallahassee, and I think it'll fill people with hope uh, for, for a couple of reasons. I think there were a lot of people who, who sort of hooked their stars to DeSantis's presidential aspirations. It is easy now that he's sort of become a bit of a punchline and, you know, people want to talk more about his boots and his awkwardness. Um for people to forget how much he was seen as an unstoppable juggernaut, sort of Trump without the baggage. And a lot of, um, you know, there were a lot of people that rolled over and did his bidding. 
because they saw th themselves, they, they thought they were positioning themselves uh, to be in a White House with him. And now that, that it's become clear that the more people saw him, the, more, the less they liked him, the more they understood the, what the censorship and surveillance um, agenda that he's unfolded in our state, the real wreckage of that, the brain drain, the, you know, we're losing top scholars, students uh, are taking Florida off the list. Um, we've had cancellations of conferences. I mean, there's a lot of, we're going to be cleaning up the mess that DeSantis has made long after he's out of office. But I think now that um, they understand that's not the path he's on, I, I, I think we're seeing some more independence from the different branches of government. And I think they're also feeling more pressure to actually address the things that are hurting people. And and people have stopped buying this idea that the existence of transgender people somehow damages their lives in any way. I, I as a, as, not as a joke, but just as a thought experiment, I put on uh, Facebook, I said, are there any cis women willing to do high drag in solidarity with, with drag queens um, and risk arrest? Just curious. I was I was overwhelmed. I, I I had to like step away from Facebook because of all of the the messages I were I was getting, and it wasn't just I was calling it Operation Dolly Parton because she sort of famously <laughs> said if they if they uh, ban drag queens, how will she escape prison? Uh, but but I I was just curious about you know because they always try to pit cis women against trans women, and you know with all of this messaging. And it was so overwhelming that the, the so many women responded uh, who were cis to say, absolutely. And and they're not fooling me one bit. This is about attacking women, period. Defining women as narrowly as possible and punishing those who don't fit inside those lines. And so we ended up mostly because I, I felt like I'd have an angry mob on my hands if we didn't. Uh, we put together precisely that event of inviting cisgender women to dress in high drag and drag queens from the local clubs uh, set up stations at um, uh, work, the art gallery in, in St. Pete. And all day long, we we turned people into drag queens at the very end of the night. Someone's like, Nadine, get in the chair. is like, ah, that's all right. I'll just, I'll just organize them. Get in the chair. So a Qualitina Turner was born that night. That's awesome. Um, we've got an email from John um, in Port Ritchie, Florida, who says, um, he asks, I thought the bill, or he says, I thought the bill not to display flags was to ban displaying flags with a political meaning, obviously referring to the rainbow flag. I would argue that it also applies to the Confederate flag. So I don't know. What do that, you think about that, that may be yeah. true. It might also apply to POW MIA flags, which well, exactly. And this is fly. this is the uh, well. What the about issue? American flag? <laughs> I mean, well, you know when it. I think when DeSantis put his name behind it, he said the only flags that should be flown are the American flag and the Florida flag, which of course is something he's violated repeatedly. And the it Tampa does, flag. I can't hang that awesome Tampa flag in front of my house. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, so I do think that that yes, the question of of did it ban Confederate flags? Does it ban uh, flags in support of other nations that that folks might fly? I think that you know the content based censorship is 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 part of it. But I I also want to say that 
you know, the state of Florida has actively discriminated against the existence of gay people, had laws specifically to discriminate, to keep us out of certain jobs, to um, allow us to be kicked out of our, our you know, n- denied a place to rent, um, denied the most basic non-discrimination protections, and and then actively created things, not just the Johns Committee, but certainly the, John, the Johns Committee, to to harm us. And the cost is both, you know, psychological, political, but also monetarily. It that discrimination, those doors that were closed by discrimination, caused great harm. And so, for the state that has done nothing to apologize for the Johns Committee, has passed no statewide laws to protect us from discrimination, to then say no local government gets to, in the absence of our leadership, um, begin to repair the harm inflicted on this community through a purely symbolic gesture of raising a flag during Pride Month, of of saying, you are welcome here, in a state that has told, you know, people like you for for decades that you are not welcome here, for the state to say, yeah, we're going to stop that, is particularly egregious. And so I'm glad that it has stalled. I hope that uh, they have listened to the many people who have come up to the Capitol and and have spoken out against these kinds of bans. And and bluntly, I wish they would just stop meddling in the in the work of our city and county commissions because our our city governments and our county commissions are largely doing a better job of actually responding to people than the state legislature is. So the the flag ban seems like for the moment it was it's a victory. Um, what else are you watching? I, I'm I'm fascinated by the bill that requires um, health insurance companies to cover conversion therapy, which is just seems so archaic. Is that what's happening yeah, with that? I mean, is this that is moving? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's the slippery slope that when you start denying science and you uh, begin to, you know, think snorting bleach is better than getting vaccinated. And now what we are seeing is massive breakouts of childhood diseases that are totally preventable. Um, you know, measles, because this anti-vaccine hysteria has taken taken a grip on the on the country. And and there are people, there are many people, uh, hundreds and thousands of people who are dead needlessly because of this anti-science quackery that bills like that um, are are the absurd, you know, that thinking taken to its absurd conclusion. Uh, but it's worse than that. This is a government that is has sought either through legislation or by weaponizing state agencies to deny parents the right to seek the best health care for their kid. And um, while using rhetoric as though they are uh, supporting parents' rights, they're actually stripping parents of the right to seek uh, the health care that can save the life of their child mm-hmm. or improve the quality of life of their child. And they have made it increasingly difficult and in some cases impossible for adults to get access to um, uh, to medical care that they've they've had for decades. And so this is, I mean, I can think of few things that are more intrusive than the government saying, not you, not your doctor, I will make the decision about what health care you can even have access to. Right, which the same with abortion. The abortion. Yeah, the abortion. They want, they want yeah, to force, exactly. force exactly. women to give birth to their rapist child. Um, and well, there's... Affords children to give birth to children. Their, to their yes. um, yeah. The other, another bill that you're watching is the um, and protesting is the um, the bill that would um, strip transgender Floridians of their ability to identify their gender on their driver's license. That would have to be the gender that they were born with. And what's going on with yeah. that? Is that getting any movement? That's not even legislation, right? They're just doing it. 
Right. Well, both of those things are true. There's a bill that, that we call the trans erasure bill. It's a sweeping new assault on the rights uh, and dignity of transgender Floridians that it just keeps, it, it is intended to make it impossible to move about public space. You know, you know, when my father was stationed in Panama City uh, in the military, it was, he was, he came from New York. It was the first time, you know, he was encountering, you can't drink at this water fountain, you can't be in these bathrooms, you know, and it was very clear to him that the purpose of these was to make it impossible to move about public space. The same thing is happening here you know, it is creating an environment where it's just getting, you know, imagine trying to live your life, hold a job, make ends meet, just live your life without having access to a driver's license. And, you know, I, I they've, they've taken two tracks. One is this piece of legislation. Um, well, the, the erasure bill would actually require all health insurance plans in the state to to cover this widely debunked and fraudulent dangerous practice known as uh, conversion therapy, specifically for gender identity. And it requires that the government uh, driver's license and ID card ap applications collect information on applicants, quote, sex assigned at birth rather than their gender, which is just sort of a backdoor way of creating a, a list of, a, a government list of all trans folks in the state of Florida. So it's really nefarious stuff. You know, this is the same government that began to, um, you know, we're, what we're seeing is the government demanding access to people's uh, health records so that they can identify who is and isn't trans. Mm. We're, you know, there was, I think there was a bill, if it wasn't last session, but there was language that would have required girls to report their periods. Oh, right. And, that uh, was horrible. Right. The, to, to demonstrate yeah, that they're indeed. Actually, right. The, that's so yeah. odd. It's, and it's, people... Yeah, people need to be alarmed. Like we've we've normalized so much of this creeping intrusion into our daily lives, while they say the word freedom and actually are scooping out what freedom means, and it's just this hollowed shell of political rhetoric. While our freedoms are actually being stripped away, layer after layer after layer. Yeah, they talk about parents' rights, but apparently it's only a one-way right. I mean, if if you're a parent, you don't have a right to take your child to a drag show. Yeah, this Why is, not? I mean, there's, and in fact, the state investigated a, a venue in Orlando. They were going to try to take their liquor license away because they allowed under, you know, people under 18 into a drag show. And they sent investigators in and they the invest found there was no <laughs> lewd behavior right. at all. Right. The investigators said there's no problem. The, the governor's administration said, yeah, we didn't care. We didn't really need evidence. All we need is a platform uh, to bully people. And the intention was there, and it always is, they don't care whether they win or lose. They want, to, they want to make it expensive for you to challenge them. So, yes, we're venues going, you know what, I, it doesn't even matter if we win. If we do it, is it gonna, are we going to get drawn into this expensive process and litigation and have to fight? Um, but just to be clear, somebody earlier said that these, you know, drag queen reading hours and drag shows are, these are not illegal. The, the, the court case has been won. This is free speech. 
Um, your child, if you bring your child to Hooters, you're seeing more lasciviousness than you're seeing at a uh, drag show. If you go to a sports game and you and you allow your child to see the cheerleaders during the you know halftime show, you're exposing your child to more sexual content than you're seeing in drag shows. And lots and of movies, lots of movies. Well, yeah, on on and on, and you know, I don't, I haven't been to Gasparilla in a minute, but. Um, and when I did go there, I I would say that if this were the standard, there would be nonstop arrests. So it's complete hypocrisy, but it's intended to say uh, it's intended to create a moral panic where you identify a scapegoat. You create a snappy slogan that punches the lizard brain buttons on people. And then you position yourself as the only one who can protect people from this completely manufactured uh, threat. And they don't care if you pick their pockets. They don't care if you strip them of their rights. And it also plays on something in a book that I recommend to everybody who wants to understand what's happening. It's a book by uh, Heather McGee uh, called The Sum of Us. And it talks about mm -hmm. the willingness of people, of white people in particular, in the, you know, as civil rights were unfolding and Jim Crow was falling. Uh, they described a Virginia town that cemented their entire uh, public swimming pool and shut down a popular park rather than integrate it. And it didn't matter to them that they were denying their kids this great place, They that they were, you know, replacing this beautiful uh, center of the community with a concrete eyesore because it was worth it if it stopped those people from having access to it. Well, I'm from and Virginia and I can remember when they shut down the entire school system so yes. they couldn't, didn't, wouldn't integrate, but... And that's this, this is the mentality that um, we see. I'm, you know, a willingness to, you know, abandon health care, uh, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, even if you and your family is relying on it, as long as those people don't get access and those people are whoever you want to put, you know, uh, immigrants, black and brown people, trans people, you know, I will cut off my nose despite my face. And those kind of politics play here. So, yeah, I, your Maybe. insurance is 300%. You're, you can't find a place to, to live. Eh, doesn't matter as long as you're busing frightened, trembling immigrants uh, as political stunts that I can poke, that I can laugh at and feel superior. I'm fine with everything else you do. Nadine, we got a, a question from a listener, Rick. And Rick wants to know, how can we fight back against the Christopher Rufos and think, think tank like think tanks like the Heritage Foundation? Um, well, first of all, I think we have to expose them. You know, how many media, how many uh, newspapers or, or media outlets covered Moms for Liberty as though it was just, you know, two moms who, you know, saw something in the library that caused them to clutch their pearls and the next thing you know, they're crusading. It was never that way. It was a political operation bankrolled by the same pe people who bankrolled January 6th. And it was, but it was covered as though, yeah, these are, these are just parents really concerned. They didn't even have kids in the public school system of, despite going to school board after school board and speaking as though they did. And they were using rhetoric um, that, oh, you know, we're concerned parents. Well, you're not parents of the kids in this school district, but I'll tell you the thing, this is how you confront it. Um, them cosplaying concerned parents in schools have awakened the actual parents who have kids in those schools. And those parents 
are pissed off and they're not having it and they're outnumbering Moms for Liberty 10 to 1 in some circumstances and they're fighting for their own kids. You know, it's their kids coming home and saying, hey, you know, my favorite teacher just got forced out or, hey, this book that I wanted to read, I can't have it anymore. They're taking it out of the library. And now real parents are showing up to school board meetings and real parents of kids in our school districts are are fighting back and exposing just the the lie. This is never about parents' rights. You know, I might, as a parent myself, I might have the right to say, I don't want my son reading this book, right? He's not allowed to check this book out of the library. What I shouldn't have the right to do is say, no child is allowed to check out this book from the library. Right, right. parents' rights. That's not so, parents' rights. Let's go to a call. We've got Nancy from St. Pete's on the line. Um, we've got just a few minutes left, but Nancy, you are on the air. What's on your mind? Hi, Hi Nancy. Oh, boy. Yeah, this, this problem goes way, way back, of course. And in Florida, especially so, to the 50s, I'm, I'm thinking. Um, Mom, 1956, my Uncle Harris, his name was Harris Kimball. And um, he was disbarred in Florida for being a homosexual. And he was disbarred, and he had to get on the bar in New York State. He went to the Supreme Court in New York State. He won, and he was able to um, uh, have a homosexual uh, practice law. He came back to Florida in 1980, and he won. And so it can be done if you just keep going, you know. And uh, absolutely. Any, anyhow, you know, he had so many hurdles that he had to to overcome as far as people who don't want you. They don't care if if they ruin your life, you know. And, you know, my grandmother read that same story in the St. Pete Times, and she missed the point entirely, you know. Hi. She missed the point entirely, and she was only concerned that her friends would see the story and um, think less of her. How horrible. Anyway. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Thanks, Nancy. Um, Okay, Nadine, we've got a love letter that we want to read to you. It should be a perfect segue into ending um, the last few minutes of the show talking about your journey to where you are now. This is Jeff Smith who says, Great show. Thank you so much for having the brilliant, eloquent Nadine Smith on your show today. It is an absolute joy to hear her speak. She is a national treasure. And yes, she is a national treasure and, in fact, was named one of... um, Time, Time magazines, most influential people in the world in yes, 2022. 2022. So, Nadine, let's talk about how you got there. You you started off, um, uh, you went to high school in Panama City and attended the U.S. Air Force Academy, but then left in 1993 after the passage of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Is that correct? Um, actually, it wasn't after the passage of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It was, uh, when I was at the Academy, it was pre-Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Okay. They could They could ask you all day long and did. <laughs> they would. They they ran witch hunts and and forced fourth class cadets. Uh, those are uh, or first class cadets who are on the verge of graduation, out and they were compelled. They were given dishonorable discharges and they were compelled to repay their entire education, which at the Air Force Academy was was very steep. So you so you had people who were you know high achievers in school going through an elite military academy and in their final year kicked out for being gay. Um, So, yeah, so I was pre-don't ask, don't tell. Um, And I actually came out to an army major on um, who I just vibed with. He he had been enlisted and then became an officer. 
And he said, you know, I, I hope you stay because there's a lot of people who are only here because their dad and their grandfather came here. And we need people who are willing to question things. That's what keeps us out of war. But, um, yeah, I saw too many upper-class cadets get their lives sort of turned upside down by being outed and and uh, expelled. I'm super so. curious about why you went into the Air Force in the first place. What, what drew uh, you to that? I come from an Air Force family. Um, you know, and that was and just I always understood. Well, that's what you were going to do. Just expected. well, I think it was more that um, it, it seemed like the best education that would be affordable uh, to me and my family. And so, you know, it's a full scholarship. I'm glad I went. I got a lot out of it, um, and I'm glad I left um, because it it put me on a path that was going to allow me to be. My real self. And so you not, ended up going to USF and I did. Journalism. I went to USF, um, graduated from USF. Actually, I worked for WSF Radio. That was um, that was my second radio job. I had been Sylvia, the midnight to six a.m. DJ at WDLP in Panama City. Oh, fun! <laughs> what kind of music did you play? Uh, we played the oldies. All right. <laughs> Remember, I would play uh, Nice and White Satin because it was the longest of the carts that we had. And it would let me go make popcorn, have a sandwich and come back. Um, but it led me to WSF uh, Radio, where I really began to uh, explore being an investigative uh, journalist, won a couple of awards. And then I did a I did a story on the USF Psych uh, Psychiatric Center uh, Basically, you know, uh, taking people in as long as they had insurance and then dumping them when their insurance ran out. And I think because it was WUSF uh, radio, when I went to interview them, they thought, you know, student reporter, you know, this will be a, a, a charming little piece. And instead, uh, one of them said, oh, she came in here like she was, you know, I don't know, morally safer on 60 Minutes. <laughs> and uh, they ended up not running it. And so... Uh, my friend who had left WSF to go to the Tampa Tribune said, hey, the, the trip might. And I went and I met with uh, Warren Johnson. They ran the story and uh, offered me a job. And then shortly thereafter, WSF ran my original story after I had left and uh, it won awards. Wow. So, yeah, that was my journalism journey, which immediately led to my um, journey into into this work because I was covering politics and I was hearing the homophobia. Because um, at that time, let's just remember, uh, listeners, uh, we didn't have gay rights ordinances in Tampa mm -hmm. or Hillsborough County. And that was the big conflagration there. Um, mm -hmm. I was writing columns about it, um, writing a lot about that demagogue, David Caton. Remember him? Yes. Um, yes. And 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 so yes, yeah, she left uh, the newspaper and helped start Equality Florida, right? Yep. And I just want to say this because I know our this hour has gone so fast, and I've really yes. enjoyed it. <laughs> but I do want to tell people to be hopeful because we've seen this before, and and not only do we come out the other side of it, as long as we show up to the fight, we it sets the stage for progress. In many ways, the far right coming after us on marriage equality paved the way for marriage equality. Um, in so many ways, the, these culture wars are a lagging indicator. They show up after the cultural tipping point um, as a desperate attempt to drag us backwards, and they fail as long as we don't cower. And right now, people aren't cowering. Students are standing up. Communities are standing up. People are fighting back. If you find yourself censoring instead of speaking out, find the courage to speak out. 
um, in, and, you know, don't be a bystander to this kind of ugliness, whether it's at the dog park that you're at, whether it's in the corporation that you work for, whether it's in the school system or at the, at the Thanksgiving table, you got to be a voice that says, you know, I'm not going to be silent in the face of it. That's how we turn the tide. Because people were confronted with the idea that, yeah, well, you know, if you love someone, you should be able to marry them. And once they actually thought about that, they said yes. And now an overwhelming number of people support uh, marriage equality. Yet there's now talk of the Supreme Court possibly overturning that someday because of uh, the decision uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Are you concerned about that? Well, sure. And I think I hope everybody's concerned. Anytime, anytime tyranny uh, and the erosion of basic liberties and the government decides that some people are more equal than others, everybody should be concerned because it is it is the uh, as James Baldwin said, if they're if they come for you in the morning, they'll be coming for me at night. And Nadine, we all have Nadine, we got a couple of, of more love letters for for you. We've got somebody um, named Twinkle Yoki. <laughs> Are they all from all with the last name Smith? No, they're Jeff not. It's not my so, brother. Twinkie, Twinkle <laughs> says you're inspiring. And Nikki McNichols says, thank you for all your hard work and being our advocate. I do want to, just before we go, I just want to mention a couple other things that, um, that you were involved in. Uh, that I think are of note. You helped organize a march on Washington in 1993. Is that correct? Yes, we brought a million people to the state, the, the to the nation's capital. Yep, and marching for um, equal rights for um, for gay people. Correct. Yep, the LGBTQ. LGBTQ. And in 2007, you were arrested at a Largo City Council meeting. Um, tell us about that. What happened there? Um, <laughs> well, it's really interesting because I was there because the trans. Uh, the the city manager had been outed as trans and had gone had just gotten high 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 marks on their uh, review and now was being fired. Uh, and so we went to protest the treatment of this uh, uh, city manager. And after I there were so many people there that after you testified, we would send people out into the hallway. This, uh, I, I spoke early, went out into the hallway. The, there was a huge police presence and they would let the opponents of the trans city manager cheer. But if we did, we got threatened with being kicked out. It was, the bias was very, very clear. And so as it was ending, I wanted to stand. I had this little piece of paper that says, don't discriminate. It's a pink piece of paper, black writing. I wanted to stand where the city manager would be able to see after enduring some of some of the ugliest commentary I've ever heard, even to this day, in a in a council chamber. And somebody opened the door, came out, and said, "Oh, can I have one of those?" And I had an extra one, so I said, "Sure." At this point, this cop comes and basically grabs me, uh, tells me that I'm uh, leafleting, which isn't permitted because it's a slip and fall hazard. <laughs> uh, a few minutes later, uh, he's shoving me through swinging doors, and a a uh, St. Pete Times reporter, as the door swung open, snapped a photo where you see four cops have slammed me to the ground and they're kneeling on me. Oh, my gosh. Anything to stop so, speech. Yeah. We yes. are out of time. Yeah, we're out of time. Thanks, <laughs> Nadine, for being here. We got another, our final love letter to you. This is from Mary Ann, who says, I'm cis and have long admired Nadine. I support her and her efforts fully. Nadine, thanks for being with us so much. Um, thanks thanks for listening to WMNF Tampa. Up next is Alternative Radio. Follow Followed by Harrison Nash, WMNF Tampa.